Good morning, church. My name is Eugene Garcia. I'm a covenant partner here at First Pres, and it is my honor to read scripture for you today. As we continue in our stewardship series, we will be looking at 2 Corinthians chapters 8, verses 1 through 9. Paul gives the Corinthians an example of abundant giving by the Macedonian Christians out of a response to God's love and grace towards them. Paul reminds the Corinthians and us of Jesus' sacrifice and an opportunity for us to respond to God with generous gratitude. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles or look up at the screens as we hear God's word today. Hear the word of the Lord. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he has had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in the act of grace also. As I say this, is not a command, but to prove by the earnest of others that your love is also genuine. For you know that grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now please join me in the call and response printed on the screens. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. And thank you, Eugene. All right, good morning. How's everyone today? I'm sorry if you can't read your actual Bibles in your laps um, because it's a little dark in here, but it's nice and cozy, right? Aren't you glad you came to church today uh, to worship with us? My name is Becky Pritchard. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it's a blessing to share God's word with you today. Um, As God has given it to me, so I give it to you. And so I invite you to keep your Bibles open or on your phones, whatever device you might have, because we're going to dive into this scripture um, a little more deeply today. We are in our stewardship series, and um, we're going to figure out what that means. For It's a very churchy word that we throw around a lot in church, um, but we're going to dig deep into what God is calling us to as people who respond to his love for us. So before we do that, I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So for those who are new with us this week um, or in the recent months or just haven't been around for a full calendar year, every November at First Presbyterian Church San Antonio, we dive into our stewardship series. And as I said, it's a churchy word that we use a lot. um, And sometimes we don't give full explanation to what truly is stewardship. For instance, I am going on a cruise in about a week and there is going to be what is called a room steward. That room steward is in charge of making sure to care for the needs of the room and the person in it. Have you ever been on a cruise? Seen a room steward, right? Okay, so that is kind of taking care of what we have been given 
and um, just looking after and managing the gifts that God has given us. So stewardship as a church is a corporate opportunity for us to care for the gifts that God has given us. As people who follow Jesus and who know him as Lord and Savior, we are invited into an opportunity of giving. We are invited into sharing the gifts that God has generously given us, managing them while we are on this earth for God's glory. That is stewardship, right? So in this season, last week we began the series to look at what scripture tells us about giving. It's not just that we do it because we've always done it. It's not just do we do it because we know we need money to keep the lights on and the air on, even though it's really cold in here. So it's like we're really giving you, you know, the money for the church. No, but seriously, but stewardship is about a response to God's love for us and his grace upon us. So we set up this framework so that in our personal lives, when we're studying scripture, we know what God is calling us to. But also as the church, we're in the second week of stewardship. Next week, you and your families will have the opportunity to come and bring a pledge for next year, for 2024, about how God is calling you to give. Now, if you're brand new with us, we don't um, expect that of you. Um, we know that these, this is for our covenant partners, the people that have joined this church and have committed to, to the life of this church. Part of what we do in our, in our new member classes is teach about what it means to give. And so we're gonna do that next week as a family of faith. But my hope is that in these words of scripture, we are challenged by the Holy Spirit, convicted to live in a way that God has called us to live. It's not easy, and sometimes it can be really challenging for us. So you know how when you gather with friends and family, the two topics that are off limits at holiday gatherings are what? Politics and College football, yeah, especially if you're a house divided, right? If you're like an A&M UT house. Politics and religion, right? And I wanna add to that list money. Like, who wants to sit down at Thanksgiving dinner and be like, what does your retirement plan look like? And talk about, or mom and dad, what are you gonna leave each of us kids when you die? Is that good conversation for family dinner? It probably should be, because we really need to be talking about those things. But for some reason, finances become very personal. People get really weird when we start to talk about money. We have pains from our past that kind of make us feel funny about money. Maybe we didn't grow up with money, or maybe we grew up with so much money that we don't know what to do with it. But the moment we start talking about money, it can create division. It can create tension in a family. I mean, we see that people sue their own brothers and sisters over family money all the time. That is not unique to our world. And so money is a very tense topic. So before you go running out of here today, I want to free us of that tension that comes when we talk about money in the church. What Paul is going to be teaching here in 2 Corinthians frees us to talk about money, recognizing that it is not ours in the first place. Taking away our own ownership and our clinging tightly to our money and our possessions Paul is saying, and what we believe as followers of Christ is that everything in the earth is God. Psalm 24, everything on earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 
And so as people who know and follow Christ, none of it's ours to begin with. So let's take that off the table as we come to talk about money here in the church. I know that a lot of people think that church only asks for money all the time, and it's like one of those awkward conversations. Like every time I go to church, it seems like it's always stewardship season. Well, you know what? It should be. Because our grace of our Lord and the love that he has for us is so enormous that we can't help but give what God has first given to us. So we're going to let go of the fears of talking about money in here. We're going to let go of our own clinging to what is ours and the division that that brings. And we're going to focus on what God has given us. We're going to be freed because of the grace of God to talk about money. And to know that all that God has given us is his. And so we have the opportunity to respond to that grace. Our response is a gratitude to God. I know in November, a lot of people do the like gratitude days each day, something you're thankful for. It's a really good opportunity to step back and recognize the gifts that God has given us. It might not be money. It might be that, man, I have the best singing voice I've ever heard, and God has given me that gift. It's not true for me, but it is for these guys over here. Or God has given me these children, and what a gift it is to raise them to know and follow Jesus Christ. Or God has given me this car that I can drive to and from work and school and wherever I need to go. Whatever the gift that God has given you. Maybe you are so good at making bulletin boards and you just wake up in the morning and you want to make bulletin boards. Come work in our children's ministry. We would love to have you help us with bulletin boards. But God has given us each gift, and we have an opportunity to respond to God's grace in giving us gifts to give them back to the church for God's glory. So we pick up here in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul gives an example to the Corinthian Christians about another group of churches that have given money. And he begins by talking about these Macedonian churches. And these Macedonian churches are dirt stinking poor. They've got nothing to their name. They have no right to be giving out of what they have because they really don't have anything to give. But Paul and Barnabas had committed to giving generously to the church in Jerusalem who also was afflicted and oppressed and poor. So as part of their missionary journey, they had made an agreement to raise money for this church in Jerusalem. So now Paul is asking the Gentile churches, the people that are coming and following Jesus to give in support of another church who is struggling in great need. He asks both Gentile and Jewish Christians, we talk a lot about Gentiles and Jews, but they are all united in giving to God, right? It unites them together when they all give together. Look, a little light. Jesus is here with us. Um, but it shows unity between the Gentiles and the Jewish Christians. They're all giving, they're working together for God's good. So as Paul encourages the Corinthians to give money, he knows that it will bring them, the Corinthians, very, very much joy. It's not just for the good of the Jerusalem church. It is for the good of them because as they give, they are, they are brought great joy. Not just a blessing for others. So here in chapter 8, let's look, at the, let's look at this example he gives in the first few verses. Verse 1 begins, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
So when Paul is talking about the Macedonian churches here, he's likely referring to Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, three different areas that have Gentile Christians coming together to give. They've been oppressed, they've been afflicted, and as he says, they have given an abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Extreme poverty and wealth of generosity typically don't go together in our minds, right? It's hard to see that poverty and wealth can be side by side, but here is the perfect example. They are donating to another church, and they have given beyond their means to serve the Lord with gladness and joy. Out of the overflow of their hearts, they are serving and giving beyond their means. So he begins with this example to show the Corinthian Christians, who, by the way, are better off financially, who are more blessed and less afflicted than these Macedonian churches. He gives them this examples of the Macedonians who have less than they do. But what's even cooler about the Macedonian churches and what's even more important about it is that they, Paul wasn't going to ask them because they really didn't have a lot to give. And he wasn't going to bother them with giving money and like ask them to scrape at the bottom of the barrel to give. They themselves begged Paul to give their money. They weren't commanded to do so. But in their affliction, in their poverty, they asked to participate. Take a look at verses 3 to 4. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Begging, begging us of the favor. These, these dirt poor churches, begging Paul to give to the saints, the, the church in Jerusalem. They gave beyond their means out of a, a response to God's grace, out of the overflow of their hearts. So Paul continues in verse five, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So they didn't just give their money out of their poverty. They gave themselves. They were like, let us serve. How can we serve you? How can we serve the Lord first? And then how can we serve you, Paul, as you continue on your missionary journeys? They gave of themselves. They gave their time. They gave their, their, their gifts. They gave their money. And they wanted to serve the church. Isn't it such that we always hear stories when people go on mission trips? They come back telling of the great generosity of the impoverished people that they serve. I hear this all the time. People come back from Philippines or from Mexico or from wherever they've traveled, and they see these people who have nothing, and yet they are full of joy, and they are giving of the nothing that they have. As a seventh grader, I went on a mission trip to Mexico right at the border, and us seventh graders built houses, like literally from nothing to a, to a standing house. No building acumen, nothing, you know, to offer. I'm like 13 and can't even hold a hammer. And we're there, and we're, we're giving, we're spending a week there to build houses. We did take some construction people with us who actually knew what they were doing, thankfully. Um, and each day, the family who had nothing, again, this is a one-room house that we're building, a, a mom and, and a dad and 10 kids living in this one-room house, and every day they would, they would provide a meal for us. 
They had nothing. They would go and buy Coca-Cola in the bottles, which was not cheap, to share with a snotty seventh graders who were there to build a house that they don't even know how to hammer a nail. And I remember at the time being like, ew, I don't want this food. Like, how convicting. Now as I look back on that, I am like devastated about my seventh grade mind being so full of self-righteousness and snottiness that I, didn't, I wanted the sandwich made by the Americans and not the food made by the gracious giving of the Mexican families who had nothing to give. And yet, they shared the great gifts with us. I have been so convicted about that. And again, that's a memory for me that has marked me and formed me to see that out of nothing they gave, out of joy, because we were there to serve them and build them a a home. They were followers of Jesus and they gave in response to God's grace on them. You've probably heard other stories like this before of people giving when they've had nothing. This is what the Macedonian Christians did. They were overflowing with generosity even though they had very little themselves. Overflowing with gratitude for God's grace in their lives, joyfully giving and trusting that God will provide for their every single need. It's a compelling example that Paul gives to the Corinthians. And it might be easy for us to look at Paul's words here as manipulative or pushy, like they gave and they didn't have anything, so what are you going to do, Corinthians? But I don't believe that Paul's being manipulative here. I think he truly is trying to encourage the Corinthians by sharing this example. It's not to make them feel guilty, like, well, they gave and they don't have anything, so so should you. I really believe that Paul is trying to illustrate that others that believe in Jesus are doing this, and so let's gather together in unity and do it together with them. Let's not just let them do it, but let's be a part of the bigger picture of God's great plan for his church in the world. He's offering encouragement, and the driving motivation he uses is actually theological. And you'll see in a minute, the last verse that Eugene read for us, it dives deeper into a foundation of what God has given through Jesus Christ, and so the Macedonians give, not to toot the Macedonians' horn or to make them feel bigger or more special or whatever, but it's truly to give encouragement, reminding them again of what God has done in his love for his people. In verses 7 and 8, Paul begins to appeal to the Corinthians by highlighting the gifts that the Corinthians have already shown that they exhibit, that they excel in, and then challenging them, like, you already have these gifts. I'm going to challenge you to express yourself as a church with these gifts. And he writes, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. The Corinthians have a great set of gifts, and they're using those gifts for God's glory. And so Paul is challenging them to grow and to give even broader, out of love for others. Paul is encouraging them in this way. The Corinthian church, as I said, is far better off financially than the Macedonian churches. Yet they are not giving generously in the same way. 
way that the Macedonians are. At one time, they were giving, but it's been about a year. And so Paul's trying to remind them, remember that promise we made to give? Remember that agreement that I made with these churches? Let's, let's kind of rev up again and give our, our money and our time and, and recommit to giving. So he prompts them by telling them of their gifts, reminding them of this grace, and saying, you too are called to share generously out of love, not for their own pride so that they can say, us Corinthians gave more than the Macedonians, which is tempting to do because we're humans and we like to compare, right? Not out of trying to earn God's love, not trying to, to prove anything, but truly because they can't help it because the love and grace of God is overflowing out of them that they can't help but share with others. So this last verse is where Paul drives home the argument. It is the foundation for all that we believe as, as Christians. He's given this example of Macedonian generosity, and now he turns to this final example. Verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the final argument. This is the only argument any of us really need to recognize the gifts that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. And the gift is not anything that we see here. There's a lot of gifts here, but it's an eternal gift, an eternal hope that goes beyond this world. We cannot argue with the sacrificial giving of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who literally gave up everywhere, everything, his position in heaven, his place with God the Father, his privilege to be in glory with God, to put on human flesh, to come into this broken and dark and miserable world as a baby, to live a life as a human, fully God and fully divine, to live amongst us, and then, if that's not enough, to literally die the most gruesome death on a cross out of his love for us. I mean, that is sacrificial giving, right? So that we might become rich for eternity. Not just for today, which God gives us the blessings and the, what we need in today, but the abundance of eternity that we have hope for because of Jesus' sacrifice is what we cling to. Philippians 2 illustrates Christ's humility, becoming poor for our sake so well. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave up everything for us and sacrificed his very life on this earth, giving up all that he had for our salvation. Paul reminds the Christians in Corinth of this truth of this amazing grace. They know it, but they need a reminder. We all need reminders of the foundation of why we are here and what we're doing and what, the, what our future is. So that when we feel this grace, when we see that God loves us that much to send his son to die for us, that we can't help but respond to that grace towards others. We have been abundantly blessed by God. And the Corinthian Christians and us, we are invited to respond out of love for him. 
I realize that the idea of offering and stewardship, as I said earlier in the church, has become manipulated. It's become warped. Our humanness sometimes makes things yucky. And there are a lot of jokes about, oh, when the offering plates go by, that's when we go to the restroom, right? And, but Joe just said it so beautifully this morning. It is an essential part of our worship. We don't do offering at the beginning or the end outside of worship, but in the midst, right in the middle of it, because as we sing, we're giving thanks and praise to God. As we give, we're giving thanks and praise to God. As we study scripture, we're giving thanks and praise to God. As we fellowship, we're giving thanks and praise to God. It is all worship. And God uses us, uses that for his glory. Our human brokenness has warped this understanding of giving and we turned it into a coerced thing. You have to give or else you're gonna feel guilt and shame and burn in hell. It's not true. That's not scriptural at all. Jesus doesn't say that. Paul is not writing that here. Paul is saying that it's not a have to, it's a want to. It's a I can't help but give. The gospel of Christ slashes all of our preconceived broken notions of money and giving. I hope that we are cleansed of these unhealthy views, that we are cleansed of our clenching to our possessions and our our stuff and our money, and that we would be free to experience God's grace through his word to us in scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are all people in need of sanctification, and this is part of our sanctifying, that becoming more holy as we love and follow Jesus. We are formed, and we we begin to release when we trust God. I want us to see the truth of the scriptures here and not to see the way the world talks about giving and money. I want us to see what Jesus talks about money and giving, what our word from God talks about it. Paul reminds these Corinthians of what Jesus did for them and for us, not so that they would feel manipulated to give, or feel guilty that since Jesus died, I guess I must give a couple bucks in the offering plate every week. That is not what worship is. When we pass those plates, it's not to look from side to side and see, ooh, they gave this money, I need to give that money. It's not so we can get our name on a plaque and say such and such family gave such and such money and hooray for them. It's about what God has given us and opening it back to, them, to God. God really loves you, like really, really, really loves you. He loves us so much that he gave his son for us. There is richness offered to us out of Christ's poverty, dying on the cross, and now we're free to enjoy the riches of his goodness. Our hope is not in in our money or in what we own. We often feel real secure when we have a good salary. We often feel really secure when our savings account is growing. We often feel really secure when we drive a nice car and we have nice possessions and we feel outfitted in the right kinds of clothing. A bigger salary, a bigger home, nicer clothes, more than enough food. I mean, how many times do I throw away the spinach when it goes bad at the end of the week? Because I didn't use it, right? And God has given us so much. We are like the Corinthians, right? Here at First Pres, we are swimming in gifts and money and stuff and chairs and all the things that we're given. 
And so we have an opportunity to give generously. And this church has done such a good job of stewarding the gifts that God has given for his glory, sending money through benevolences across the country, across the world. Our missions department, our local and global, it's easy to write checks and send them across, but also to go as a seventh grader and to, for our eyes to be wide open to what other people experience and live and how they live differently than us. God in his generosity and love sent Jesus to die for us so that we can be free from clenching and clinging to the possessions in front of us, to the things of this earth, and instead be hopeful for an eternity with him. Nothing that we have now will be taken with us into eternity. Our jobs, our salaries, our possessions were free from the tight grip that we hold in this world. May we not be guilted into giving. May we not compare ourselves to others around us. May we not feel manipulated or coerced, but out of the freedom of God's gift to us in grace, may we respond through the power of the Spirit, because we can't do it on our own. If left to our own devices, no, -uh, I'm not going to give. I have a tendency to be quite stingy, especially with my time. I am not going to give. But the Spirit is working on my heart and freeing me so that I might open my hands and let God use me my time, my talents, my treasure, because he loves us. As we go from here today, we have an opportunity to dwell on these words throughout the week. I invite you to open back up to 2 Corinthians 8 and read this chapter. Look at this. Look at these words from Paul and see how God is moving in your heart. We have been given much. And next week, as we come to our final Stewardship Sunday, you will have a chance to fill out a pledge card with your families and to bring it forward, sacrificing it at the altar, laying down what he's given to you out of a response to his grace and love. I pray that the Spirit would do a work in us this week to show us what that looks like, to give us tangible examples of how we can serve with our time and our money and our gifts whatever those may be, because we all have them, and that we would re freely receive God's love. If you don't listen to anything else today, listen to this. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you and so that you would be free from sin and from holding to all the things that don't bring us happiness and that you might have eternity with God the Father. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you hold us close and that when we are stingy and greedy and prideful and full of selfishness, Lord, that you would free us to give out of a response to your grace. We have nothing without you. Everything that we have is yours, Lord, and we lay it at your feet. We trust you that you will provide for our every single need. Sometimes we don't believe it. We need your spirit to walk with us, to remind us, and to show us the abundance of your gifts, that we are rich because your son Jesus became poor. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you hold us, and thank you that you guide us and lead us and grow us to look more and more like you. We pray, Lord, that as we respond to your word through, through song that our hearts would be moved to worship you with gladness and joy. 
It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.